You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, uh, Matt, I think you said you wanted to start this week's podcast, right? I will remember you. Shut up, Matt. Okay. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Track and the Storm podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are glad you are here. My name is Brandon Stanley at BWStanley26 on Twitter, joined by Alex O'Hari at Future Canes and Matt Soma at Canes Prospects. We are coming to you one day after the National Hockey League's very boring trade deadline. And as quiet as it was, that's basically the brunt of what we're going to talk about tonight, as Alex doesn't have the emotional capacity to deal with those two Detroit games after Hayden Flurry has been shipped off as well. So we'll go ahead and rip off the Band-Aid right off the bat. Hayden Flurry is an Anaheim Duck, and Yanni Hockenpah is a Carolina Hurricane. We knew ahead of time the Canes wanted to add some toughness on their back end, and it appears they've found a good match on their bottom pairing or as a right shot, banging defenseman to play with Jake Gardner, Jake Bean, whoever it's going to be. So that's where we'll start. And uh, so what you guys take on the trade, Hayden Flurry for Hockenpah and a sixth rounder. Skip to 20 minutes ahead if you want to hear my thoughts after Alex. <laughs> well... First of all, and I mean this in the nicest way possible. All right. The Hurricanes for trading Hayden Flurry. That's number one. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, as much as it sucks, like I was kind of mentally prepared for this. It just seemed like something that was kind of in the works. And, you know, it it kind of felt that things were going to be headed this way. And, you know, as much as I hate it, I can't reverse it. And, you know, I'm going to be complaining about it. I'm going to be down about it for a bit, but I'm going to follow how, how Hayden Flurry does in Anaheim. And that's going to be a good situation for him to go into. You know, you have a look at their group there overall, and uh, it's definitely possible that he can carve out a better role for himself there than he had here. Not only, well, not only now, but in the future moving uh, forward too. Objectively, um, I hate the trade, but, you know, we're, we're going to see, I guess, if the Hurricanes' vision, if it comes to fruition, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be naive about it. As far as Hawk and Paw goes, uh, I think he can probably be a better fit for the third pairing compared to what you know maybe you're getting from Flurry in that role. As far as what they want from a third pairing defenseman, you know they've been saying they want a big physical, right shot, stay at home guy, and that's kind of what Hawk and Paw is advertised to be. 
I got to be honest, I've never really watched the guy play, but, you know, I, I don't think many Hurricanes fans have seen him play at all. So, you know, anyone who's kind of judging this trade already is, you know, they're a bit out of line because it, let's be honest, none of us really know much about this player and um, he's only played a handful of NHL games. And um, so it, it, it's it's kind of a wait and see type thing. As far as the fit goes from the surface, it looks like he could provide a good presence for the Hurricanes back there if he turns out the way that, you know, people have talked about him in Anaheim. You know, beyond that, there's obviously a bunch of different um, there's a bunch of different angles and stuff that we're going to get into about this deal. But I'll let uh, I'll let Matt come in here and kind of give his thoughts on uh, what kind of impact he kind of expects from this deal. It's it's a trade that doesn't do much. It gives Hayden Fleury the opportunity to get the playing time that he no doubt deserves. Like, I mean, it's very clear that he doesn't deserve to sit in the press box here. You know, he's a capable third pairing defenseman. The problem is he was probably the fifth on the depth chart, just on the left side. And then on the right side, he's got to contend with, you know, Brett Pesci and Dougie Hamilton, you know, two bona fide top four you could even argue that they're both top two defensemen, you know? So Fleury clearly wasn't going to carve out a role for himself here. At least, you know, just kind of thinking about it, it kind of seemed that Fleury was destined for Seattle in some way, shape, or form. Um, so you could look at it saying, you know what, it's awesome that Fleury is getting an opportunity to, you know, carve out that role that he deserves. At the same time, you could also look at it as, well, you know, the Canes got the uh, like the type of player they wanted and they also got something for flurry you know because otherwise yeah if you keep him at the deadline he sits in the press box plays a couple games here and there and then seattle takes him and you don't really get anything for him this case you get yanni hockenpah who could very well be back next year you never know and you also get a sixth round pick which i mean again i i said this on twitter but a sixth round pick is inconsequential but it's marginally better than losing flurry for nothing you know i mean the canes draft well in the later rounds and even if you know he turns into like a clark bishop or a spencer smallman type i mean you at least get some pro games out of him you know and i mean another way to look at it is the canes free up a little bit of cap space for something next year you don't know what it is but i mean we kind of saw at the deadline this year that uh the flat cap kind of hindered anything from happening. I mean, you know, certain teams were able to broker with third-party teams to try and get... San Jose. <laughs> yeah, like San Jose and Detroit did it. But, you know, if I'm the Canes, I'm not giving up an extra pick or two for a rental. No, I agree. And so, I mean... And we'll kind of get to, to this later because I do want to talk about why the Canes might not have gone for maybe a Manson or a Raquel type player. But I mean, just from Don Waddell's language, I mean, he was saying he'd rather, he would rather make a hockey trade. And I guess just no hockey trades really came through. And he, he said all the while that they were looking for a shutdown right-handed defenseman that could kind of fill like a depth to third pairing role. And they they went out and got that guy. But again, you know, they got, they got him, but here's, here's the, the kind of the counter, um, argument I would make not not necessarily with to what you said but to the big picture overall is that you know I think a big need for the Hurricanes 
um, was to bring in another depth piece on defense. Um, because, you know, with this season, the way things are going and, you know, the structure of the group where you have a good amount of defensemen that you trust, but the depth thins out really quickly on the back end. So you bring in another defenseman um, with Hawk and Paw, who's going to play a role. He's going to fit in, but you ship out Hayden Fleury. So it's kind of offsetting the two where, you know, one D goes out and a new one comes in, but it kind of leaves you in the same situation now where I think you're one injury away from disaster um, on the back end. And not only that, but, you know, with the way that Jake Bean has played recently, um, you know, he's, he hasn't really been trending in the right direction. You see the rookie struggles coming out and, you know, in Detroit on Monday night, you know, he, he just, he did not have a good game at all. He was benched the entirety of the third period. Like he just, I feel like Bean now he could end up in the same situation that Fleury was in where, um, you know, he might be the one on the outside looking in and he might be the one that Rod is losing faith in a little. So, you know, that's worrisome as well. And now you're at the point where, you know, you're one injury away from having nothing to fall back on. Uh, as far as your defense group goes, you're going to be, you know, say Dougie Hamilton goes down tomorrow or Jacob Slavin. Uh, somebody's getting moved up in the lineup, whether it be Gardner or the aforementioned Jake Bean. That, it would be um, Gardner. It, it'll probably be Gardner. And then beyond that, what, you, what are you going to have as your seventh? You might have a Joakim Ryan or you know, just somebody you don't want to be turning to, especially come the playoffs. So, you know, I, I didn't like moving out flurry in this deal. Um, even if he's not going to be in your top six, moving forward, like I mind you, there was a rotation guys kept coming in and coming out and he was going to play Monday night. Uh, Bean was going to come out. He was going to go in. So I, I think it would have been a constant rotation regardless, but you know, now you don't have that fallback option. And I think, I mean, no one was talking about Hawk and Paw leading up to the deadline, right? Like, I don't think this guy was on anybody's radar. You probably could have had him for, what, a third, maybe a fourth round pick and brought him into the group and, you know, kept your depth at a point where, you know, you feel comfortable moving to the playoffs where if you have anybody go down, you, you're you never going to replace any of the top four guys, really. But, you know, maybe you have enough to to, you know, be able to withstand that loss as opposed to bringing a guy like Joachim Ryan into the lineup if it comes down to that. And um, so, you know, I think uh, I think they could have done well by themselves to hold on to Fleury and bring in Hawk and Paw. And, you know, at that point, um, you like you bring in a sixth round pick with uh, Hawk and Paw for Fleury. So when you if you offset the two, basically you've traded Hayden Fleury for a sixth round pick, which is just, you know, it's just selling very low on he's still an asset. He's 24 years old. He's proven not only that he can play in the NHL, but last year he showed he can play top four minutes if he's given the opportunity. And, you know, if you were okay with basically giving him away for nothing, what really confused me was Don Waddell's uh, angle yesterday, I guess, in his press conference after, after the deadline where he was like, you know, we knew we were going to lose a good player here. So we want to get something for him while we could, but like, I mean, basically you got a sixth round pick, right? And you didn't give up any other assets. So in the bit, in the grand scheme of things, you really got nothing. And, you know, I don't if, think that's fair, bro. I it, mean, it, can like, good, like, all right. We no, don't but I'm just saying, him. I'm just saying you could have given up like a third or a fourth round pick to but bring in Hawk picks, and, Paw and kept your depth. Those picks have value though. Like, 
Right, and why do like, I want to give yeah, up a third like, round pick when I can give up a guy who's sitting in my press box? Yeah, and well, look, your depth they to give is up suffering picks. now. If they want to give up picks, and their their depth is not any different than it was before, right? Like, if anything, it's, it's just an even swap. It's the same, basically. It's Hawk and Pie who plays on the right side, which is where the Hurricanes are missing for Flurry, who is another left-handed defenseman. Where, like Matt said, he's basically fifth on that depth chart, and we only had two regular. Well, we only have two right-handed defensemen at all, right? Now that I think about it, right. so I, I yeah, don't but, know, man. If you want to go into if, if you want to dip into the picks. Especially in this draft, go for like a first rounder, bro. <laughs> I think the third round pick is almost as valuable in this draft as the first rounder is as weak as it is. So if you want to go for the picks, man, damn, go for Josh Mason and Raquel and guys that we'll talk about, you know, how we could have done this deal a little bit differently. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I I don't know. I'm I'm kinda like you guys said, it's it's a wait and see thing. Hawk and Paw brings a dynamic the hurricanes don't really have on the back end. And hopefully he can be that banger and that physical presence that's going to be really valuable in the postseason. Well, so here's the thing that I kind of want to ask you guys about. And that obviously, you know, I, I think it's no secret that the flat cap kind of hampered a lot of deals this year. And um, with it being that way next year, maybe a team like the Hurricanes who are looking at their roster now, realizing, you know what, crap, like we've got Dougie Hamilton and Andrei Svechnikov both due for big extensions coming up. Like, do you think that kind of maybe discouraged them from taking on an extra $4.1 million next year in Manson or with Raquel, you know, just under four? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, not only that, but um, on top of that, with the expansion draft coming up, you don't want to be bringing in more guys that you can't protect, right? And um, I heard the Sens GM, Pierre Dorian, on Ottawa Radio this morning, and he said, you know, there was a lot of discussions yesterday, not just from his teams, but, you know, around the NHL that, um, you know, a lot of deals that were being talked about that just didn't really come to fruition because of concerns with, you know, being able to protect these guys at the expansion draft and, um, with the overall cap situation, I guess a little up in the air and teams kind of unsure what's going on here. He was of the mindset that at the draft uh, this summer, there's going to be a lot of action. There's going to be a lot of movement. Yeah. And, you know, he said there's a lot of discussions he had that'll be picked back up uh, at that time. So I- I'm sure, you know, the Hurricanes could easily fall into that boat as well, especially when you consider moving out Flurry now, you bring in Hawk and Paw, who's an un unrestricted free agent this summer i'm not going to even speculate about re-signing him uh until i see this guy play like you genuinely we don't know but right. plus if you're still of the mindset where now you're going to lose maybe a brady shea or a jake gardner or you know another piece of your defense to seattle uh because you know waddell said we're afraid to lose a good player in hayden flurry but like you're still going to lose a good player it's just not going to be hayden flurry now it's going to be somebody else so if you do mo- lose maybe like a Brady Shea, just say for example, and then you don't re-sign Dougie Hamilton, all of a sudden your defense is going to be like paper thin compared to what it is now or so, compared to what it was yesterday. Galaxy brain here. Galaxy brain. Just, just stay with me for a second. Don Waddell and the Canes know that they can go out this summer and either trade for or sign a top four defenseman to replace the defenseman that they're going to lose to Seattle. Yeah. 
in the expansion draft while also keeping Hamilton. And you know, if kind they of the, the Jay, one that's four million off the books, right? Exactly. And then you can go out and acquire Manson, and even if you give up picks, your your cap situation isn't changing. You know. Yeah. But so, and you kind of saw like with. For instance, and we'll, we'll kind of circle back to this in a minute, but kind of going off the same theme here with the Anthony Mantha trade. Washington trades two roster players to get Mantha, you know? And two premium picks. Jeez. Right, but it's a, it's, a, it's a two for one. And you think about it, like, Verona and Ponick, you know, if you're looking at the expansion draft, Washington's probably losing Jacob Verona. Yeah. yeah, not to mention he'd fallen out of favor there. I actually don't right. think that trade is nearly as bad as people make out. Like you, you shed Panic, who was a bad contract. Like they weren't getting much at all from him. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, Jacob Vrana was playing on their third line. Uh, he'd been a healthy scratch at times because he didn't he didn't gel with the coaching staff there. Like there there was uh, reports of like a rift and stuff. They didn't see eye to eye and. And he just wasn't carving out a role. Plus, he's a restricted free agent this summer. So, like, they probably didn't want to pay him what they figured he'd command. So, you know, you move him out. And I don't think anybody um, anybody doubts that Anthony Mantha is a, a pretty big upgrade, especially right. uh, in the defensive zone. Not to mention that, you know, Verona, the last couple of years in the playoffs, he has zero points in 15 games. So, you know, he's not really giving them much when it counts. And I think Anthony Mantha will be a big upgrade for them in that regard. So I don't think that trade was that bad at all. You know, it's definitely a little more than you want to give up maybe, but uh, I think it's a good deal for that group. But that's kind of what I'm getting at, you know, and at the the end of things, like what what I was trying to say is like, instead of losing, you know, Jacob Verana, who could be, you know, a great middle six player for Seattle, you're now, getting something for that player. And instead you're looking at losing maybe like Lars Eller or Brendan Dillon to expansion, which is a lot less significant of a blow. You know, it's a no no brainer. Poor Ron Francis. He's sitting around watching your (laughs) roster options go to hell. Yeah. I I think he'll be fine. And if we learned anything from the Vegas expansion draft, NHL GMs don't have a brain. Mm -hmm. They share one collective brain cell. I don't know, but then again, Francis, you know, his, uh, his MO, he's going to try to build slowly, right? <laughs> I, you don't, you don't yeah. I don't know though, because the joke. relax. <laughs> I don't know. We'll get, to, we have to talk about expansion. And I think now that the trade deadline's over, we probably should, but we'll save that for another episode. Cause I think, you know, that's a long one too. <laughs> with with oh, yeah. Francis having an owner, that's very clearly willing to spend money yeah, and kind of start things off with a bang, like. I'm kind of curious to see uh, if that changes his approach significantly. Well, I mean, if they don't go right to the cup final in their first year, you're going to look at Vegas and be like, well, these guys failed, right? So (laughs) right, a lot of pressure there for that group. (laughs) But so we've, we've talked, I think we've talked enough about kind of like the Canes one move and a lot of people are like, well, you know, the Canes probably should have done more and, I know after the Detroit game last night, a lot of people were mad saying, you know, oh, the Canes needed that forward. We didn't get it. Well, it was just, a, I was kind of in that camp too. Cause it's just like, this is like a prime example, dude. Like they're just putting a lot on their top forwards. Like this is what I wrote about earlier when, when I did my trade deadline recap. It's like, 
you're kind of banking on Tara Vinen to come back and be Tara Vinen and probably for Svechnikov to break out of his slump as well. Like you kind of need both of those things to happen. If you're going to match up with Tampa Bay in a seven game series, do you think the Hurricanes get it done without those two guys? Because I, I, I really don't. Well, I mean, well, you got to factor in too. You just lost the heart and soul of your group. You sent him to Anaheim. Um, you've <laughs> lost two straight games without him. Um, after coming off a three-game winning streak with him in the lineup, so you know it's going to be a tough adjustment without Flurry obviously playing those those key minutes and you know winning games for this team on that back end. But uh, yeah, what the hell are we going to do without that? What are we What are we going to do without need uh, that seven what minutes a game do? and one goal in thirty-five games really badly? But you know what, Alex? Like all jokes aside, like. I can really appreciate like what Flurry did for a lot of the fans here. I mean, like he, he had a he had a cult following and you know, like he he really kind of embraced that and made sure to kind of show love to to his yeah. fans out there, which I mean super good kid. Yeah, yeah I mean he's... he's a good guy and I mean he's got a kid on the way. And I think that this is a good opportunity for him to start building a family. Cause I mean, you know, it would have been different if I don't know how far along his wife is, obviously, but it would have been different if, you know, three months from now at the expansion draft, Flurry gets picked and all of a sudden he has to take a wife who either just gave birth or is just about to give birth up to Seattle. Like, this gives him time to get settled. And I'm, I mean, like, I feel like it's going to be a good situation for him. But I mean, yeah, I think I think he's going to wish re- him all the best, obviously. Absolutely. And I think he's got a really good chance to become like a good top four defenseman out there. I really do. Right. I mean, well, second man, pair, I, probably, but I watched um, the Anaheim Ducks game last night. So, quick scouting report on not only uh, where Hayden Fleury would fit in there, but I know it's only one game. But um, overall, I was not impressed with Josh Manson last night. Um, it felt like every single time he touched the puck in his own zone, it went for an icing. Like he was just pinned in his own zone, and that's a game they won four nothing. Pesci's um, been doing that lately too. I know that's yeah, he topic, just. But... I, I I was watching Manson last night. I was like, kind of like a little relieved. I was like, man, you know, I I don't know about. I, I just I was not impressed with him last night. Obviously, I haven't watched him all year, and uh, I know he's dealt with some injury problems. He just came back, so he might just try be getting back into the thick of things here. But you know, overall, that that defense group they need a couple playmakers, right? Like they they just brought in Jamie Drysdale, and man, was he was he noticeably good last night? So. You know, maybe Hayden Fleury carves out a role with, you know, some of their young guys there with Drysdale and, you know, Hampus Lindholm is still pretty young and they, they've got a few options back there. But, you know, taking a look as well as at their uh, expansion draft kind of foreshadowing, um, you know, I've, I read a few Ducks writers that said, you know, they're going to be in a position where they can protect four defensemen um, if they so choose. And, you know, with, with uh, Lindholm, Cam Fowler, and then maybe Josh Manson, those are the only three guys from their group that you're really going to say, okay, we need to protect this guy. I mean, they have a few other young guys, um, Jacob Larson and Josh Mahura. Brendan Gooley. And I think Brendan Gooley, yeah, in particular. But, I mean, none of those guys have done anything there this year. And So, you know, I think Hayden Fleury, if he can go in there and show them something, he could, he could find himself on the protected list. And, you know, Bob Murray, their GM there, he talked very highly of him, said he's just a guy that, we think needs to play um, needs an opportunity and he really talked them up as a right. future piece. So I'm hoping it's a good fit for him. Um, obviously wish him all the best. I'll be following along and uh, j- just hate to see him go. Right. But uh, we won't dwell on that for too, too long. I'm trying so, to move on. Since Alex is willing to move on, 
Like, um, I'm not, I'm not, like, like, let's get it real here. I'm never going to move on from this. I'm never not going to be hurt uh, on this situation and on this subject, right? But, like, just for the sake of our listeners, right? Not having to listen me, to me kind of, you know, complain and whine and bitch about us losing Hayden Fleury for, you know, the entirety of an episode. Because I could, if you guys really want me to, I, 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 I could go on for the whole episode, but... Uh, Patreon. Solo side. I, I, it sounds like a solo I'm, side project. Yeah, for I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they'd rather listen to some real hockey talk. So we wish Hayden Surrey the best. Um, obviously in Anaheim. Well, all right. Um, so before we totally move, but before we totally move on from Anaheim, earlier I kind of posed the question of: Do you guys think the Hurricanes could have added, you know, a, an early pick and a guy like Ryan Suzuki and reach for, you know? a rich Ricard Raquel type. And we already talked about the salary cap implications here. So do you think that's what this has to do with the most is like, we're keeping that cap space freed up for Dougie Hamilton and Andre Sveshnikov. And I mean, are they just saying like, Oh, this group is fine as is like we, even if they don't take Sveshnikov and Teravine into the equation, they think this team is good enough as is, and they're not willing to give any other assets up. I mean, I think it has to do with expansion too. Um, that's a big one because you don't want to give up. I, I mean, if you're giving up a first Ryan Suzuki for a player and then Seattle scoops him up for free, you're going to be pretty pissed, you know? I yeah. mean, like you've given up two premier assets for basically 20 games. And unless you win the Stanley Cup, that's going to suck. Okay. But last time I looked at the expansion draft, even like after protecting a full list like i still had like a fogel type protected so like right, you could you add know, a guy you don't like... want to you don't want to li- risk it you don't want to leave it to chance and i think that's what a lot of nhl teams did i mean a lot of the teams that did make moves made moves for guys with only like were rentals and so like with with the canes i mean we can even see it aside from those two games against detroit and I think the Canes just kind of underestimate Detroit every time, but we don't need to talk about that. Like, I mean, we've seen how well this Canes team can do without Tevo Teravainen, without Vincent Trocek, without Jake Gardner, without, you know, the list goes on and on. We've seen how well this Canes team gels and fits together and how they can find ways to win. I mean, hell, they were out, they were without Peter Morazic for uh, three months almost right i think it was more two but yeah it was a long time yeah it was like two and a half months ish and the canes are still or at least were still the top team in the league you know they've missed tevo teravainen for the vast majority of this season and have still managed to yes they've been playing against dallas nashville Detroit, Chicago, but I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're still able in this division, they're still able to contend. They were able to keep up with floor or with Tampa for most of these games. They've won all but one game against Florida. I think, you know, and those are your top competition in this division. So I think yeah. they see it and say, you know what, when Tavo Teravainen comes back, this team will only get better. And even if it's just, you know, like in, a below average Tavo Teravainen, that's still probably better than third line Warren Fogel. Well, yeah, yeah but, but let's I mean, think about that... Nikita Kucherov too. Sure. Yeah. yeah I that, mean, that's, that's going to be a huge it. addition for them. But then you also have to think, well, crap, they're losing Stamkos. 
more than likely because Stamkos is out for at least one month every season. Because <laughs> well, my dude I don't, I don't can, we can never stay on healthy. That. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, you know, Stamkos always is out for like a month every season, I feel. It's it's just like for me, you know, Tampa Bay went out, they improved their group. They're already a strong group. They went out and got stronger. Um, Florida, they're already having a great season, um, have a great group. They went out and got stronger. and They really needed an egg by replacement too, but yeah, keep going. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for sure. But the competition that you're directly competing with and – you know, the two teams that you really have to worry about come playoff time. Um, both those teams went out and did things to improve their group. Mind you, you know, you can say what you want about giving up a first-round pick for David Savard. It it does improve their group. And, you know, like the saying goes, if you win the Stanley Cup, who cares what you gave up? Right. right? You can give up You can give up your future if you win, up, if you win the Stanley Cup. No one's going to care. So, you know, they did those things to improve both of their groups. I mean, Florida, if they can get a lot out of Nikita Gusev, that's a great addition for them. And, you know, I just, it's hard to look at the Hurricanes group, especially on paper right now, and, you know, not wish that they went out and got a top nine forward to slot into where Jordan Martinuk is currently playing or to slot in to where Warren Fogle is currently playing. And, you know, at this point, with Table Teravainen, um, you know, with the injury he's had, we've talked about it a lot, but who knows where he's going to be at when he comes back. You, Like, realistically, I'm not sure what you can expect from him, and that's even exactly. assuming that he does come back. Right. Um, you know, he even earlier in the season, he didn't quite look himself after he had COVID, and he was just – he was fighting it a little bit. He was starting to come on um, before he got to concussion, but, yeah. you know – especially after missing, you know, this whole season with all these compressed games, everyone's kind of in a groove and he's going to be coming in cold. Um, I, I don't know what you can expect from him. I guess any contrib- like contribution from him would be a plus, but, you know, it's hard to really bank on anything. So um, I assume the Hurricanes looked at all the options out there and discussed a lot of things, but, you know, I guess nothing materialized. Maybe they weren't comfortable with the asking prices from some of these, some of these other teams out there that were selling and, I wish they would have added something in their top nine. And the thing is now that, you know, if they don't get over the hump in the playoffs this year, that's kind of going to be the one thing everyone's pointing to. Well, you know, why didn't you guys do something at the deadline? So um, it's a risk, but. That's what scares me the most, man. Like what happens when, and this is another thing that I've kind of been harping on. What happens when you don't advance in this year's playoffs, especially if you lose to a team that did just go out and make an addition and, you know, really work to improve their group. And then what nobody knows what the hell is going to happen next season. You don't know if this team's going to click. You don't know if somebody, I hate to even say this, knock on wood, but what if Sebastian Ajo suffers a major injury? This team's not a contender without Ajo. It's very unlikely. I mean, I guess special cop could go all world, but like, this is just what I'm saying. It's unpredictable. Like you don't know if you're going to be in this position next year. You're the number one team in the league. Go these after types, it at some point. These types of things happen to 30 other teams, though. Like, sure, but like I'm just saying, we're the best. But these types of things can happen to every other team, and it's like if the Canes didn't feel comfortable with the situation they were in they would have gone out and made a move. Yeah. They weren't comfortable that Tevo Taravainen was going to return and at least be, you know, close to his form. 
they would have gone out and acquired somebody, you know, like, yeah, that's fair. And you know what? I do have the utmost trust in Waddell, Tulski, Darren York. All these guys have given us no reason not to trust them, right? Like they've done a fantastic job since coming in and taking over this team, period. Right. I think in the moment, it's really easy to panic. I don't know if that's the best word. Yeah, I'm not sure panic is the word. To feel concerned. Yeah. In, in the moment, it's very easy to look at the team and go, well, right now, you know, we just lost to Detroit. We did all this, you know, Tavo isn't back. But I mean, the Canes aren't rushing Tavo back because they want him to be himself. They want him to be fully yeah. ready when he yeah. comes back. So right. that's why, you know, the updates are he's getting close and he's getting close. I mean, same with Jake Gardner. And I mean, Gardner, you know, for what it's worth, that first game against Detroit, I mean, you could see why the Canes were missing him. I mean, he was making those passes in the neutral zone. I mean, the Canes finally weren't dumping the puck in exclusively <laughs> at five on five. And it's like when Aho and Natchez weren't on the ice, the Canes were still able to generate offense because Jake Gardner was able to carry the puck into the zone or make a pass so somebody else could do that. And so they realize that, you know, when Tavo Taravainen's back and the team is at least mostly healthy, this is a team that could absolutely steal a series from Tampa with Nikita Kucherov. And I firmly believe that. Yeah, and you know what? To add to your point there, um, I think some guys in the bottom six especially have been like snake bitten to the point of it's almost ridiculous um, that they're not scoring. You know, it, it's kind of hard to bank on your bottom six just flipping the script when you don't really rely on them to be skill guys or, you know, uh, necessarily top scorers. But, I mean, like, the fact that Steven Lorenz has one goal, it, it's almost a joke uh, when you watch the games. Like, he's creating a lot. He's getting to the right areas. He's getting a lot of opportunities. So is Morgan Geeky, right? Like, at some point, these guys will start putting a couple more into the net. So, you know, uh, you have to kind of hope that, at some point here, you're going to get a little more depth scoring from your bottom guys because, uh, you know, you've seen it trending in that way. It's just at the point where you just need a few of these to go in. And even, even Brady Shost. Yeah, Brady exactly. Shea has one goal. Yeah, there, there's a few guys that, you know, you watch them play and you're like, you know, at, at some point these guys are going to put a few into the net. And, you know, while it's it's hard to sell that to your fan base that wants you to make a move and wants you to do something flashy. Um, you know, sitting in that war room with Waddell and Tulski and Dundon and all those guys yesterday, they probably took that into account where, you know, they're like, we, we can get a little more out of some of these guys on this roster, um, especially moving forward. Like uh, you don't expect Svechnikov to be in this funk forever. And, you know, I'm sure that kind of numbed the fact to them a little that you know you don't need to go out and necessarily overpay for a marginal upgrade right and especially as things were getting closer to the deadline yesterday like there was not much out there that you know you looked at and would have said um this would have really improved the group especially from from rentals and it didn't seem that um a a deal for like an Arvidsson or a Raquel was going to happen yesterday especially as things got closer to that deadline time so it was pretty early in the day when I read off any any realist, realistic hope of a big splashy move. And then at that point, it was kind of like, well, you know, if you're going out there and really acquiring just one of these marginal guys here, it's not really going to move the needle all that much. Um, 
anyways. So, you know, stick with the group you have. Hope you can get some more contributions from a few guys that haven't necessarily had that puck luck yet. And, you know, maybe things, maybe things trend upwards a bit. So here's the last thing I'll say before we start moving on to the actual deadline. Teams that were selling this year, and I think this is a big part of why we didn't see many big trades. Teams that are selling this year are going to want to wait until after the expansion draft. And we've kind of already talked about this, but NHL GMs on teams that are able, you know, to even be on the bubble are going to be willing to spend more now that there's a guarantee that they'll actually have that player next year. You know, the price is going to be a little better because, I mean, we saw this year the price for even decent to good NHL players was barely like a third round pick, you know? And so if I'm a team that like Anaheim, for instance, where, you know, realistically you're still probably about three to four years away from being a good team, I'm waiting to get the most out of my trades for Raquel and Manson. But that's just me. The only qualm I have with that line of thinking is Raquel has one year left on his deal. Instead of getting him for basically a year and a half, you're getting him for a year. So doesn't that – how much more are you really going to get for him with less term? I don't know. That's that's the only, like, question I really have. I don't know how NHL GMs work. I don't know what they're thinking, what they're discussing. Next year is an 82-game season, so maybe it's going to feel like more than one year. Um, I think it probably will for me. Uh, but that's that's the only question I have. It's like if you're waiting – you're really getting one year of a player. Whereas now if you're a contender, you're like, okay, I'm getting this guy for a playoff run and next year. Just my Yeah. It's a good, it's a good point. And yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's, we're just in really such unprecedented know. times here that like, right. That you, nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. Like it, it could go any way this summer. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens, but I mean, nobody knows what the market's going to be like. Yeah. So let's start talking about, and I'm going to go back all the way to March 26th here for the trade that really kind of started the trade deadline. It was Mark Bergevin going out and acquiring Eric Stahl, uh, 50% retained for a 2021 third round and a 2021 fifth round pick. Um, For me, I mean, I give that a B for Montreal and Buffalo. I mean, I think it's, you know, a, just a good trade for both teams you know what in hindsight man you know at the time hurricanes fans were obviously a bit upset about it that you know we didn't bring back eric Stahl. there was talk about the reunion it didn't happen uh but you know at the time you know we kind of got the notion that the hurricanes didn't want to do anything then because you know they wanted to see how the market really developed getting closer to the deadline and we were kind of led to believe that there'd be a little more action um around the, the trade deadline not only in the NHL, but from the Hurricanes. And, you know, looking back, for that price that Montreal got Eric Stahl, I really wish the Hurricanes got involved in that because compared to some of the deals on the market, I think that was very fair value considering the the player Montreal is getting. And not to mention the fit he would have been in Carolina. I mean, looking back now, I think he was probably the ideal target and didn't notice it at the time. But, you know, sometimes... It's just how things happen. You you realize what you missed out on when the chance is gone, right? And um, it, it's too bad because I, I think you would have fit in great with this group where they are at right now and obviously would have been a huge spark, not only to the room, but to the fan base and all the hype that would have been around that. So I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. And in hindsight, that probably would have been 
my ideal trade for the Hurricanes. Well, damn sure isn't my ideal trade for the Hurricanes, but but well, considering really... nothing else happened, and considering that maybe you know, right, none of maybe, these big trades happened. Sure, maybe in hindsight, okay, you know what? Maybe I would have warmed to it a little bit if I knew nothing else was going to happen. That that's one thing, but he has one goal in Montreal. Say what you will about plus minus. He's minus more than he has games played. He has six shots on goal in five games. Like he's, he's just not, he's not that good of a player anymore for the emotional lift aspect of it. You know, if it gets Jordan, you know, playing superhuman levels and maybe it gets more out of Eric as well. That's one thing, but I, I just don't think he's that effective of a player. It really wouldn't make, even now would make that big of a difference, but that's just me. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, if I'm spending a third and a fifth round pick, I want a guy that might be able to help the team out a little bit more than just a goal in five games. But, you know, yeah. given given what Montreal's status is, I still don't know if they really should have any business trading away all their picks. Yeah. Um, They're not getting past Toronto. Like, come on, bro. What are you doing? It's it, And it's such a weird uh, year. Like that, I, I don't think anybody in the Canadian division can really contend for a cup outside of Toronto, and even then, I'm still like on the fence. But someday, I'm know. waiting for Connor McDavid to just go ape shit and like carry that team to a Stanley Cup. Like even Edmonton, I feel like someday it's got to happen, right? I mean, uh, McDavid and Drysaddle are two of the three best players on the planet. If you just get in, if if a goalie gets hot. Darnell Nurse is a good defenseman. You know, Larson's not bad in his own end at the very least. Like, there's some pieces in there. And Connor McDavid is the best player on the planet, and Leon Dreisaitl is not that far behind. Like, at some point, I think Edmonton's going to contend. At some freaking point. (laughs) Well, let me just tell you, all those Canadian teams are lucky that they're going to get away from Ottawa after this season. Because when the the Sens' youth is ready – just watch out, right? Just watch. They're building, out. yeah. Like they're no doubt building. So I'm gonna skip uh, the two LA trades that were made because um, I think they're they're both depth moves. Um, for one, I think Brendan Lemieux isn't a good player, and He's a shit I mean, person. well, yeah, there's yeah. that too. But I mean, and Alex, I know you like Christian Wollinen, but I'm not going to talk about an AHL deal. No offense. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we don't have to get into that. But, you know, one thing I will say with LA is let's all pour out a quick one for my man Brandon here. Um, you know, <laughs> he got his his hopes and dreams crushed the same way I did yesterday with Alex Afalo, you know, re-signing in, in LA. And, uh, you know, that was obviously Brandon's main target, so... My disappointment is immeasurable and my day has been ruined. (laughs) So I think one of the biggest trades at the deadline happened five days before the deadline this year. Uh, And that's when the Islanders, while we were recording our last podcast, actually acquired Kyle Palmieri, Travis Zajac, and both at 50% retained salary caps for two AHL players. So I'm just going to say, like, what are you guys' final thoughts on the Kyle Palmieri trade? I guess, like I said last week, I like what it does for the Islanders' group. Um, I didn't really realize at the time that, you know, it's kind of a direct replacement um, for Anders Lee. I think they're missing him. I'm not really sure what his status is. 
I think um, he's done for the year. I think he's done for the year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's done for the year. So, you know, he kind of steps into that role. Um, and like I said, um, I think he can be a pretty good fit for that group long term if they can if they can come to some kind of agreement uh, in the summer. I just I like him as a player. I like how he fits in with that team. Um, he adds a dynamic that they don't really have. You know, maybe if they feel that Oliver Wallstrom or Kiefer Bellows can take a big step. Maybe they won't need to keep Palmieri around, but, um, you know, he's a great veteran to have. And, you know, a, a guy who can score is obviously going to help out any group. So I, I think it's a good fit for them. And the price was pretty fair. A first round pick is a lot, but you're getting two NHL players um, in return. And that's not really something we saw at the, at the deadline. You know, we didn't really see two NHL players going to one team. And that's why the price was kind of high. You know, they get a first round pick. And then if the Islanders go to the Stanley cup final this year, the devils get a 2022 third instead of a 2022 fourth, you know? So, I mean, if you get to the final, I don't think you're complaining about that too much. Right. Well, I mean, if you lose, it kind of sucks regardless, but you know, <laughs> well, for sure, for sure. But I mean, I think any, any team, any fan base would take, um, a cup final appearance for uh, the difference between sure. a fourth and a third. Dude, are um, we really so, buying the Islanders as like actual contenders though? Because I'm not. Nope. Yeah. No. I, not no, even. Probably close. not. <laughs> I heard somebody mention them. Uh, I think it was on NHL Network on the in you know just serious radio the other day, if I'm not mistaken. Um, talking about teams they really thought had a chance, and I was just like, dude, like they kind of play. I don't want to say like a gimmick style they remind me of like uva basketball that pack yes. line defense where it's like impossible to score on them they like play a trap the entire game almost and oh, that's what they do other, I mean, it's the same as columbus yeah yeah, yeah exactly very very similar but yeah, in a seven game series holds up but in a seven game series what if the hurricanes wax them i mean they didn't like just kill them every game but like for sure they you, swept you them. definitely expose them yeah absolutely I mean, at home you mean you kind of got to see that it, it was pretty easy to beat. But, I mean, you know, with Anders Lee, I, I, I would buy the Islanders as a cup contender. Without him, they're definitely worse, and I can't see it. But that's just me. But so, moving on here, and this kind of started Florida's, I don't know, they, 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 they pulled a Columbus at the deadline, in my opinion, but not as severe of a Columbus, you know, where they just offloaded every sort of future piece they had, you know? Yeah. I mean, this kind of started, I mean, they traded Brett Connolly, Henrik Borgstrom, Riley Stillman in a seventh round pick and got two AHL players back in return. Um, this is basically just to free up, you know, two and a half million dollars in cap space. So I'm curious to see, like, what do you guys think? Like, do you, do you think that helped Florida at all? Well, I mean, it, it gave them, the opportunity to do a couple other things that we did see them do. So, you know, that deal did help them. Mind you, they do lose Riley Stillman, who is a pretty solid prospect and Henrik Borgstrom, who is a former first round pick who was once thought pretty highly of, you know, he had some troubles, uh, I guess, developing in the organization kind of fell out of favor. And, you know, the sense was that he was never going to play there again. So you, you don't, you don't really lose anything overly pressing from your group. I mean, I don't think they really had him in their plans at all because of, you know, I guess the rift. I'm not sure if it was with 
you know, the GM committee or the development group or with the coaching staff. I'm not really sure. I don't really follow close enough, but I'm pretty sure that's the sense that uh, most scouts and most, you know, analysts close to the situation had. So it, it's to shed that, to shed the contract of Connolly, I guess it's the price you had to pay. And, you know, like I said earlier, if it gets you success in the playoffs, nobody is really going to be complaining about giving up a prospect that, you know, didn't really have a future in your organization. It's man. It's, it's pretty shocking where Borgstrom has gone to me because back when he was at Denver playing college hockey, yeah, he was really highly touted. He was, well, he was, I watched him a good bit actually. Um, and I mean, he just, the size, the reach and the ability, and he actually skated pretty well for his size and the ability to make plays at that speed, like he was just head and shoulders above college, which is why it's kind of hard to evaluate college players, I guess. Um, But I, I, I saw a little bark off in his game, to be honest with you. Like he was just a big lanky kid with a rocket of a shot. And like, I mean, I thought he had NHL star written all over him and well, how the mighty have fallen. (laughs) <laughs> Let's not make any mistake about it. Florida do not develop well at no, all. They are a no, prospect no. graveyard. Yeah. And that's kind of part of it. I mean, I saw my concern is that I saw Borgstrom play last year when uh, Springfield came to town against the Checkers. And he was definitely noticeable, but I didn't think he was anything special. Yeah. And that could be, you know, again, for he hasn't gotten any better. And that's that's the concern is he has 21 points in 30 Liga games this year. And that's like not, average. That's not even average, man. I mean, Jesse Pulley um I think that's average for Liga, like not even for an NHL prospect. Right. And that's not that's not going to cut it. I mean, Absolutely. you know, when Yessi Pugliarvi was going at a point-per-game pace, and granted, they're the same age, people were talking about how he was only producing at, like, you know, a 25, 30-point pace at the NHL level. So you get this, and you're like, I mean, God, this guy might only hit 20 points, you know? And that's that's crazy. I mean, since he was drafted 23rd overall, Borgstrom has played in 58 NHL games and has 19 points. Yep. Like, and that's over three seasons. And granted, Florida doesn't develop their prospects well. They probably rushed him to the NHL like they always do. And it's just like, at this point, does Chicago, are they able to get anything out of him or is his career kind of done? And I think that's the biggest if here. Well, the the thing is, I mean, for Chicago, it's just an absolutely risk-free move for them. I mean, you pay sure. Connolly a, a few bucks, but in the grand scheme, you know, they're, they're not going bankrupt over it. And, you know, you bring in a prospect who was like very highly touted at one point. You know, you guys are probably a little more familiar with him than I am, um, given that you watched him all the way dating back to college. But, you know, to to bring in a guy like that and see if you can get him back on track. He's only 23, so it's not like the book is closed on him. Um, you bring him in, you know, get your development guys to go to work with him. Maybe bring him over after the Liga season is done. Let him cook in the AHL a bit and, you know, eventually give him a crack. I think for them, it's a no-brainer. And I mean, you know, worst comes to worst, you get Riley Stillman out of this trade. And Riley Stillman is probably going to be like your sixth best defenseman. Yeah, I was going to say third pairing left. And 
you get Brett Connolly, who's a decent bottom six player. You know? What does he like get hot like once every two or three years and score like 20 goals in like 40 games and then he just is uh, again? I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I know nothing player. about Brett Connolly, man. <laughs> Very <weird> player. player. <laughs> Any player that plays on Florida that isn't Barkov, Huberto, or Bobrovsky. I mean, you could ask me about them and I'd say, I mean, they play for Florida. They can't be great. Mackenzie Weger. He plays for Florida. He can't be that great. He's pretty damn good. Uh, I know. I'm uh, just, I'm just, <laughs> I have to commit to the bit here. What about uh, Gustav Forsling? Sucks. Is this, is this Forsling slander here? Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to talk. I mean, Hayden Fleury replacement. Tough, tough crowd. Uh, well, the next move was Toronto acquiring Riley Nash, which, uh, yeah. Good for them. All right. Sweet. So Colorado made a couple moves at the deadline um, this year. Their first being acquiring Patrick Nemeth for a 2022 fourth round pick. And I like this move uh, for Colorado. I think Nemeth I do too. gives them some size on the back end. And Colorado's defense is good, but I, I think they really could have used an, again, like kind of like the Hurricanes. They could have used like a, a like a bigger shutdown a bruiser, guy. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what? Uh, With, didn't they draft second. him originally too? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where he started off. I'm pretty sure he was like a. Oh no, it was Dallas. Okay, Dallas. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know he was there before though, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's what it was. He was drafted by Dallas and then went to Colorado and then. Okay. Yeah. So he goes back to a team that has familiarity with, uh, with him, you know, so he's going into a system he's been in before. Um, I like the player quite a bit, uh, not only because he's of Hungarian descent and there's not many of those guys in the NHL, but (laughs) you know, I actually had a look at his stats because I was, I'm in a group chat on Twitter and they're, they were kind of freaking out like, wow, a fourth round pick for Patrick Nemeth. Wow. That's a lot to give up. So I had a look at his stats because I always remembered him being pretty solid. And, you know, analytically, he the only defenseman uh, in Detroit this year that's been better than him is Philip Peronek. And, you know, Nemeth obviously isn't known for his offensive capabilities. And he's still sporting an expected goal um, differential uh, that's positive. He's driving play. Uh, his possession numbers are really good. So, you know, I, I think for a fourth-round pick, like, that's – that's fantastic value. He's had a good season in Detroit and, you know, he can add depth to any blue line in this league. Right. I just think, I think it's just a good trade. Yeah, I mean, it's a solid like, deal. It's, it's a low risk move for Colorado. Cause you only give up a fourth for, for Detroit. I mean, Nemeth probably wasn't going to sign there anyways. And so they get something for him, you know? Yeah. Um, The next trade <laughs> that we should talk about is Florida going out the next day uh, and making a move for Brandon Montour, giving up a third-round pick in this year's draft. And um, I'll admit, when I brought him up on the podcast, um, I wasn't aware of like how bad Brandon Montour is. Has gotten, because he yeah. used to be pretty good in Anaheim. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know Buffalo is where hockey players like go to die. <laughs> Right, and I tried right. to give him that benefit of the doubt. When I yeah, saw his analytics, though, I was like, Ooh. "Yeah, it's, well, it's even a his nightmare. last season with uh, Anaheim, you were like, yikes! It wasn't he's, good.' He's high risk. He, he's very high risk. And if anything, like 
if this doesn't work out and Montour kind of stays the way he is in Buffalo, this could make Florida worse on the back end, yeah. you know? So that's yeah, something that's to keep point. in mind. Like, and, and that's, that's another thing, you know, when the Canes are looking at like, you know, you give up a third for, for Montour and it makes your team worse. Like if you do that, like yeah, it's, it's a sub replacement level player that you're right. giving up an asset for. Like with the with the guy they got, by no means is he like a fantastic NHLer. His defensive metrics are really good. But he can play defense and Brandon Montour very clearly can't. Yeah. And so like what I'm looking at, I would much rather give up what the Canes did to get a guy that can actually, you know, play defense. Then go out and spend a third on Brandon. Mon- I don't know. That's oh, just- no, no, we we are not okay with giving up Hayden Fleury on this podcast. You know, you're not. We, we, we. Right. I I speak okay. for tracking the storm now. We are not okay. <laughs> we do not support it. All right. All right. First, first, Matt's the voice of reason, and now Alex is the damn <laughs> the damn spokesperson. What is, what is this? <laughs> you know what, man? The people have spoken. And I am the voice of reason on here. The people being one person. <laughs> but so Wait. let's move on because yeah. this is what's like so funny to me. Because I, I know that Joe Sackick is a good GM. I know that, you know, he he drafts well. He gets his players on ridiculous contracts. He's been able to make a few really solid trades for his team. But then he goes out and knowingly acquires two of the worst goalies in the National Hockey League <laughs> in Devin Dubnik and what was the other guy? Jonas Johansson? Johansson, yeah. Yeah, Jonas Johansson. Who, who the Buffalo who, beat guy said was the worst that? goalie he's ever seen. I've never yeah, even heard Buffalo, that name in my life. John Vogel, I believe, said that Jonas Johansson was the worst goaltender that he had seen in 20 years of covering the Sabres. And Devin Dubnik, who very clearly is not an NHL goalie anymore. And Micah Blake McCurdy on Twitter at Ineffective Math, go support his work, by the way, says that the only thing Devin Dubnik does is give every shot a 13% more likely chance to go in. Damn. And yes, I know. They didn't give up anything good for them. They gave up a 2021 sixth round pick for Johansson. And they gave up Greg Patterson and a fifth round pick. So basically a fifth and a sixth for Dumnik and Johansson. But the point is, why? If you know that these guys are bad, why spend anything? Oh, maybe Joe Fred, uh, Joe Sakic channeling his inner Ron Francis, right, and just can't uh, can't scout the goaltending position very well. I mean, he can though, because I mean, he got Grubauer. Grubauer was fantastic for them before all the injuries, you know. Yeah, and the the Francois guy, um, he's pretty good as well. Oh, yeah, Francois, Francois, uh, I don't know how to pronounce yeah, it. It's Pavel Francois. You're Canadian, and you live close to French Canada, man. <laughs> you what? Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Tough crowd here. Tough crowd today. <laughs> tough crowd. I'm kidding. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's it's pretty mind-boggling. But I mean, to hear the uh, the Buffalo beat guy there come out and say that about uh, <laughs> Johansson, like he that must be have... pretty damn bad. 
it's like I know I know that they've had a bad season and like seeing his tweets um has kind of made like me feel really bad for Sabres fans because it's like he's very clearly fed up with it too you know and when as Canes fans know from before Sarah Sivian when we only had a certain uh Kane's reporter who blocked everybody on Kane's Twitter. <laughs> um, when the beat reporter starts hating the team too, everybody's miserable. <laughs> yeah, mind you, um, Johansson has actually been pretty damn solid um, in Colorado. I just, j- just because we brought up the topic, I went and, and picked up his stats here. Um, he's played 257 minutes, credited for five games. Uh, he's three and one. 1.87 goals against and a 9.29 save percentage. So, you know, not not too bad for the worst Damn. guy that they've ever seen in Buffalo. Man, that's, that's some, some Carolina Hurricanes shit right, right there. there. Yeah, that's some Carolina Hurricanes shit right there. Trading <laughs> away a guy that you think is terrible, right? And then having and then, him and then go on goes and do to that. another situation, and and uh, you know he's playing pretty well there for himself. So, well, there's some parallels to draw. I mean, the Hurricanes never got quite as bad as Buffalo is right now which is probably why we were stuck in hockey hell slash purgatory for so long where we weren't bad enough to get a high pick and not good enough to make the playoffs. But, like, the festival of suck they've had there and the misery their fan base has had to endure for, like, a decade now, it's not like we can't relate to that. No, sure, and that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, you know, like I can empathize a little bit. The biggest pre-deadline trade that happened, at least in my opinion, was David Savard heading to Detroit briefly and then going to Tampa eventually. You know, I think that was probably the biggest deal because Tampa gives up a first and a fourth round pick in this year's draft and a third in next year's draft, basically to get David Savard for 25% of the cap hit, you know? That's a crazy trade and a lot to give up if you don't win a Stanley Cup. It's a lot to give up. I mean... You know, you know what kind of an impact the player would have. Um, you know, he's exactly the kind of guy you want on your team come playoff time. And he's been a big part of the group there in Columbus that's had some success um, over the past few years. But, you know, just for a guy like that who, you know, I, I know he's going to he's gonna be good for Tampa Bay. He's going to help them. He's going to make them better. But does a guy like David Savard move the needle quite enough to warrant giving up that much for him. I think he might move the needle in a good way for the Hurricanes because he's minus three and they're down four to one right now. If you don't win the Stanley Cup, it looks worse. If you win the Stanley Cup, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, I mean, that's kind of the price that Tampa's paying right now. It's like, if you guys want to do this, like you're going to have to give up a lot. And Tampa knows that their window isn't closing yet. You know, like they have a very realistic shot at repeating this year as champs, you know? I just think it's a lot to give up for a guy who's purely, purely a rental because there's no way you're re-signing him. Absolutely zero chance. Well, I mean, you're giving up, you're giving up what? A a pick no earlier than 25th, more than likely. Yeah. Barring a miracle. Or a disaster if you're a Tampa fan. Yeah, well, yeah, a Columbus repeat from 2019, right. but yeah. Hurricanes, and in this year, you're, and the other pick <laughs> you're giving up isn't in the top 100. 
So pretty inconsequential. And in next year's draft, you're giving up a pick that's more than likely in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. You know? So if you win the Stanley Cup, that's nothing to give up. Oh, for sure. Because it doesn't matter. But if you lose, if if you lose, and then you lose Savard, like yeah, the price is kind of high, but Tampa still has a decent enough pipeline to make it work, you know. And they're a team that is able to bring in free agents, um, at least you know the top end college and you know CHL free agents to kind of keep their pipeline afloat for now, you know. Yeah, exactly. And they're in a position where, you know, they want to capitalize on what they have there. Now they're coming off a cup win, so they know they can get back there. So it's a move that helps their group. And, you know, you got to take advantage of the situation while you're there. And, you know, if they trade away their entire pipeline, um, they'll they'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. But, you know, for now, they've got to do what they can to go all in and put themselves in their best position to to win the Stanley Cup, Uh, not only not only this year, but moving forward because their core is still there for, for the foreseeable future. So uh, I think it, I think it's a lot to give up, but as you said, you know, if you win the cup, no one's going to be complaining about it. So. And like I said, no one cares that they gave up Nolan foot in a first last year. Nobody. I mean, like New Jersey cares and San Jose cares, I'm sure. But nobody cares if you're a Tampa fan. So one of the moves that like it kind of seemed weird at the time to me at least when Washington sent Jonas Siegenthaler to um, New Jersey for a third round pick. But in the grand scheme of things, when you saw, you know, the Mantha trade go down, like this freed up a roster spot and a little bit of cap room to kind of make this deal work. So uh, what do you guys about think? PBR, baby. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think, you know, I, I don't think Siegenthaler, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I don't think he was a fixture in their lineup this year he wasn't, at all. He was basically, when, when TVR wasn't scratched, he was. Yeah, exactly. So he's not, he's not a guy that they were relying on this year or probably moving forward, especially after Washington gave TVR that extension and said, you, you know, to, to, to get TVR to sign that extension, they must have told him, listen, you know, we have some guys that we don't expect to be here on our back end next year, and we're going to be relying on you. Because when they've played, like when, when he's been in the lineup, he, he's played a pretty fair role. I think there's been a few games they've played him 19, 20 minutes. Um, so, you know, they definitely trust him when he's in the lineup. Um, I really so, liked him. Whenever whenever I got to see him play against the Canes, I liked him. Yeah. Uh, Siegenthaler? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but he's, I guess he's a guy that they deemed uh, expendable from within. Um, And so, you know, you move him out now. Um, I think he's a restricted free agent uh, this summer. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure. So, you know, he's, he's probably not a guy that they were going to factor into their plans. Um, So, you know, you move him along kind of the same as a Hayden Fleury situation, right? You move him along to another program where uh, he's going to get more of an opportunity. Um, to play uh, more of an opportunity to keep developing and you know you add something else to your group moving forward so and Washington gets a third round pick and they yeah, didn't that, have that's, theirs that's you a know good return. they traded their third round pick uh, at the last deadline actually for Brendan Dillon so you know Washington gets an asset in this draft after the expansion draft you probably won't see them having that pick they're probably going to go out and make a move but I mean the point is that's a big deal for 
for both Washington and New Jersey. New Jersey gets a fairly young asset on their back end. And Washington gets a pick, you know, solid trade all around. But Alex, I want your take on this. And no offense to Brandon, but I mean, this loosely involves the Senators. So on the same day that Montreal goes out and waves Victor Mete, the Montreal Canadiens go and acquire John Merrill in exchange for Hayden Verbeek, who's basically just a contract and a 2021 fifth round pick. So basically a fifth round pick for John Merrill. But what I want to ask you is, we know Montreal is more than likely not winning the cup. So is it worth losing Victor Mete for nothing while also giving up a fifth round pick? Well, let me say this. Um, their loss figures to be Ottawa's game uh, gain because I think Victor Mete is a pretty good player. I mean, mind you, he is very undersized for the defensive position, but he's played a lot of hockey. Um, he's still young. And, you know, he, he's proven to be a pretty good NHL player. I mean, Habs fans were not happy to see him go. And overall, Montreal, they did a lot of weird things at the deadline. Um, uh, for a second there, I thought they were acquiring Eric Goodbranson uh, from Ottawa. But it was actually Eric Gustafson. I, I, I read it wrong. But, you know, that, I was laughing at that as well. But, uh, you know, Eric Gustafson, John Merrill, and you move out of Victor Mete for nothing to bring these guys in. I mean, I just, I can't understand it. It's just going backwards as a franchise. Um, right. It does nothing. Okay. Yeah, it really I wanted does to make sure we were kind of on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah we totally are. All right. So we're, we're going to kind of, I mean, we, we again, we need to talk about, and this is kind of the same situation as Tampa with Savard, with Toronto acquiring uh, Nick Felino. They trade... A 2021 first and a 2021 fourth. The only difference is that instead of a, a third round pick in next year's draft, it's a fourth for Nick Foligno. Yeah. And I mean, Toronto, they're, they're a cup contender. I can buy that. Yeah. But Nick Foligno... He doesn't produce offense. Like he's a good leader and like veteran presence and he's good defensively. It's it's a lot like Zajac almost. Like it's just a right, lot. And you're paying that much for veteran leadership? Yeah. yeah. I know that's what I don't get is cause because if Toronto gets bounced in the first or second round this year, all of a sudden they're out of their first round pick. Again, because I don't think they had one last year. Correct me if I'm wrong. So if you're Toronto and you don't win the Stanley Cup, you're without your first round pick, which, I mean, last year, yes, you did have your first round pick, but two years ago, you didn't, you know, so you're already missing out on an asset that you've missed out on before. And this year, you only have now picks in the second, fifth, and sixth round. Well, look, man, this is what cup contenders do. And, like, this is, like, kind of some of the point I've been trying to drive home with the Hurricanes. At, at some point, all that prospect capital is not doing that much for you. Like, but, if, it's just, but if you it's don't win the Stanley it. Cup, why, why, like, why give up these picks? Because, like, they feel like now their window is wide open. Like, this is the time they need to be going for it. Go win a Stanley Cup. Get a player that you think gets, gives you a better chance. 
And at some point, I think the Hurricanes need to do the same thing. I'm not saying, sure. oh, it was this year and they should have gutted the farm. I never – I've tried to make that point multiple times. I do not think they should sell out by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think they should majorly weaken their prospect pool. I thought maybe one, maybe two prospects, if, if, if it made the team better and gave them what the front office, who I utterly believe in, if they thought it gave them the best chance to win the Stanley Cup, then I would have been a 1,000% behind them trading even Jamison Reese. Which, you know, that would be my version of tough Alex's Hayden Flurry reaction. <laughs> I would be done. If anything, I think next yeah. year might be the better year to do that. Because, you know, no I, I don't know. I just think it'll be the Who better knows? year to do that. Hopefully Sveshnikov I mean, is back on I'm one of the best players on the planet. Well, right. let and me just say one more also thing. Have a better about... roster next year with all of your young players developing. Yeah, maybe. And maybe you yeah, got a guy like Jarvis and even a guy like Reese who has really come on strong in the AHL of late. Um, maybe you got those guys starting to push for a spot and maybe pushing out some of the dead weight. Not going to name names, but, you know. Right. Yeah, we, well, we know who you're mentioning. Let, let, let me say one more thing about Felino until uh, we move on. You know, Felino is an ex-Ottawa senator, and if you would have told me when he played in Ottawa that he would eventually go for a first and a fourth-round pick, Two fourth round picks. Yeah, I do. I would have laughed till I was red in the face. Like in Ottawa, we we never really thought much of him. Uh, he just couldn't get it together here, and you know I, I'm pretty surprised still um, how his careers turned out in Columbus. But um, mm-hmm. overall, yeah, I do. While I do like the ad for Toronto, and I do think he brings an element to that forward group that they don't have. It's a lot to give up for him. I think it's a it's right. a big price to pay. So you better hope he makes a big difference for your group. Yeah. And here's another thing. And while we're on the topic of Toronto, the next trade I was going to talk about is them acquiring David Riddick for a third round pick in next year's draft. Like you're giving up yet another pick and you only have three picks in next year's draft. Granted, you still have your first and second round pick, but that's it. And it's just kind of underwhelming, isn't it? Like I, I'm not too too familiar with david riddick but like he's extremely average isn't he like yeah he's kind of like a james reimer yeah like he can win you some games but i don't think he's anything special like i know some people are higher on him than others but like he's just he's a guy who hasn't shown any consistency um you know calgary obviously didn't feel good enough about him that to roll with him instead they go out and you know they splash on markstrom and, you know, Mike Who's Smith been... a couple years prior. So, I mean, right. shows you what Calgary thought of him. And, you know, for Toronto, they obviously have all kinds of all kinds of problems in net this year um, with Anderson, you know, kind of going off the cliff. But, um, you know, I just – I don't think he's got much of an upgrade on anything they have there. And I don't think he's a guy I'm giving up a third-round pick for. Right. So, I mean, next you've got uh... – Ottawa shipping out two defensemen for picks in next year's draft, which is some, just some really nice work by Pierre Dorian there, who I think, you know, and I've said this a couple times, I don't think on the podcast, but just kind of um, to people. And I mean, I think there was a discord message to prove it. Pierre Dorian isn't a bad GM. He just has a really terrible owner. Totally. Totally. You know, someone who's on, um, like, I'm obviously here in the mix of the situation. I follow the Sens very closely. And I always say that I'd love to see what Pierre Dorian could do with an owner that gives him, you know, the financial um, 
backing and you know the power to do whatever the hell he wants um and, and right. bring his like own he, vision to fruition like if tom dundon was his owner yeah exactly like, someone the like Sens would be a playoff team who basically says you know what do what you want to do spend what you want to spend um i think pierre dorian would be a, a very very good gm in this league his amateur scouting is top tier and you know he's made he's made a lot of he's done a lot of good from a lot of shitty situations like they were never re-signing eric carlson because melnick didn't want to pay they weren't re-signing mark stone because melnick didn't want to pay and it goes for a bunch of other guys and he's managed you know from a position where you almost can't win because teams know that you absolutely have to trade these players or you're going to lose them for nothing. He's dealing from, he's always dealing from a position where he's in the unfavorable spot other than actually having the asset, but he's dealing from a position that, you know, it's hard to win from. And he, he's made water into wine in a lot of those sure. situations. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. And, you know, after trading both Eric Goodbranson and Braden Coburn, albeit for seventh round picks in future drafts after that man i am i am starting the campaign to get a statue built in ottawa for him like that (laughs) is just incredible work just incredible to get anything for those guys and you know while we're at it we can talk about sending mike riley to boston well that's what i was saying is a couple picks for some depth defensemen you know just some clean work there yeah yeah you get the seventh and then you get a third um next year for mike riley and i mean Calling Mike Riley a defenseman is a bit of a loose term. I mean, he doesn't defend at all. Um, he's a good puck mover, and you know he he can make things happen on your power plays. You could like he he's solid offensively, but I mean, God, has he ever lost? Well, that's the thing. I think I think Boston was desperate because I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the defense that they iced the other night, but it certainly wasn't an NHL defense. I just don't see how Mike Riley helps their group even with. Uh, that decor they have there. I'm just so whoever the they had the the team high on ice time. Whatever whoever the defenseman was that had their most time on ice, literally had never heard his name in my entire life. Right. Yeah. Well, that was like half. That was like probably a solid two thirds of their defense for me. Yeah. But anyways, beyond that, but yeah. um, you're sending Jeff Carter to the Penguins for two conditional picks. The name Jeff Carter hasn't crossed my mind in. Two or three years, probably. Right, yeah, and this is, this is such a Pittsburgh Penguins under Jim Rutherford move that I still thought Jim Rutherford was their GM. <laughs> I am not joking. I was, I was like seconds away from tweeting like, "Ah, oh, Jim Rutherford said it again." Before I realized, like, it hexed yeah, the GM. It's now. such a weird deal. It, and it's like it's so Pittsburgh's weird. a good team this year for whatever act of God, but. Jeff Carter does nothing for them, but they also don't give up picks in this year's draft, so they keep their picks. So, I mean, there's something to be said for that. I don't know what. Yeah, but you're giving up but, future capital and stronger drafts. Like, I think I'd prefer to give up picks this year, to be honest. Let's talk about the Taylor Hall deal, because I want to hear you guys' thoughts on who wins this deal. I mean, or do you want to hear my take first? I'm not sure there is a winner. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you guys want to hear my take? It's probably Buffalo by default, but sure. Go ahead. That's Buffalo. Buffalo wins this deal. Like Hall is just, he's such a weird player at this point. He is no, I don't think you're ever going to get 
heart winner Dave or Taylor Hall again. Oh God, no. God no. I don't even think you're gonna get you're not 60 even getting point Edmonton Taylor Hall again. Taylor Hall back. Right. And that's the thing. It's like he's been on so many bad teams that I almost just kind of think he's bad luck at this point. And I know that's I know that's silly. That's that's kind of silly to say, but like I just think he gets traded to teams that think that they're better than they are. Well, to be fair, he chose Buffalo. That was his own doing. Right. And I don't credit to Kevin Adams. He made a lot of moves that offseason that looked promising that just didn't work out. And Hall was the biggest. Like if Hall worked out, Buff we could be talking about Buffalo being a playoff team, you know? But instead we're talking about how Taylor Hall got traded along with Curtis Lazar for Anders Bjork in a 2021 second round pick. And Buffalo for me wins this trade because there's no way in hell I see Boston being able to re-sign Hall for one. Yeah. And secondly, I like Bjork as a player. I think he's a fine addition to that team and some guy you can keep on your roster for a little while. <laughs> and plus a second you round more pick. more points in Hall tonight. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> a second round pick is nice. You know, like you're getting assets for a guy that there's that you would have had no business even coming close to being able to sign this offseason. Yeah, a smaller storyline of it too is that, you know, I am familiar with Curtis Lazar as a player, and I think he's actually going to be a great fit uh, in Boston. He signed for next year as well, so they'll keep him around. But, I mean, for the style that they play, I mean, he is just a seamless fit in that group. And I think, you know, nobody really paid attention to that. It's all about Taylor Hall, but Lazar will be there next year. And, I, I think he's going to do pretty well there. So I've got I've got a couple more trades. Um, Sam Bennett was probably Florida's biggest deadline acquisition, I'd say. And they 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 gave up a lot in in my eyes. They gave up a lot for him. Yeah, they gave up a former second round pick and then a second round pick in next year's draft. So basically, two second round picks for a guy that's never been all that great. Yeah, in my no, opinion, I definitely agree with you. He damn sure never lived up to his draft status. I don't like Sam Bennett as a player. I don't think he's anything special. And I, honestly, I think he's part of the reason why Calgary's been kind of eh, these past few years. Yeah, no, no, I agree. He's definitely never lived up to his lofty draft expectations. And, you know, he's never really found an identity there. Um, right. And it, it just makes no sense to me. Like I, I seriously believe that for what Florida gave up, they could have gotten some, they could have gotten Taylor freaking Hall. Yeah. For less, for less. Right. It's well, crazy. I mean, I'm kind of viewing Heinemann and Bjork as, Bjork is kind of the same because Bjork's at least an NHL player yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, you know what, That that's fair. That's fair. Like... I like Heineman though. Like I was pretty high on him last year. Um, sure, and I, mean, I for what it's worth, a lot of scouts seem to sure. like him. Yeah, a lot of scouts seem to really like him. I was pretty high on him. Like, no, not that that really counts for anything. But I, I thought he was. I thought he has some NHL qualities, and you know, he was a guy I was looking at for the Hurricanes. So, if I'm Calgary, I take I make that trade every he day of the week, twice on Sunday. Right. I mean, it's he did no-brainer. seem like a very Hurricane second round pick, didn't he? Right. Well, yeah. But so here's here's what's crazy to me, and this is, I don't know what Vegas is doing at any time at the trade deadline with what they give up. They still have a decent prospect pool. I'm not going to lie. Their amateur scouting department is good. 
But listen to what they gave up for a guy with 19 points this year, Matthias Janmark. They gave up a second round pick in this draft and a third and a fifth round pick in next year's draft. Okay, no, they swapped fifth round picks. But still, you basically give up a second and a third round pick and you move up like 20 spots in a meaningless round in the draft. For Matthias Janmark. I I have to agree. Like I actually kind of liked Matthias Janmark as a potential target for the Hurricanes. I just think he fits what they do pretty well. Uh, you know, yeah, he's, he's, a heavy, he's, he's a heavy guy. Yeah, he's heavy. He doesn't finish the best. He, he, he's almost like a Brock McGinn type, right? Uh, he's a great penalty killer as well. Like, There's a lot to like about him. Yeah, that's um, not a bad comp at all. Yeah, he's shown he's got a little more finish at times. but yeah, I mean, a little know, less skating too. Not that Brock's the best skater in the world, but he's better than Janmark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah, so I thought he'd be a good fit for the Hurricanes, mind you, at that price. I mean, Jesus, that's a lot to give up for a guy like that. He yeah. definitely doesn't slot into the Vegas top six. Um, you know, if you're giving up that kind, those kind of assets, you want you want a guy who's going to really make a difference for your club, and he's probably a bottom six player for them. So, you know, he's a good player and all, but uh, it, it's a lot to give up for a guy like that. This is. I wish I could. I wish I could find like a history of the trades that they've made at the deadline. Because well, I mean, they made the Mark Stone deal a couple years ago. I'll tell you that one. Off right, the bat. It, was it last year or the year before that they traded like a first, a second, and a third for yeah, Tatar? For Tatar, oh man! Like now, granted, Stone is good. Yeah, Stone is fantastic. But they've also traded away Nick Suzuki, who's an NHL player. <laughs> you know, yeah, they can take off Pacioretty, and he's been fantastic there. I don't think you can right, that one but it's like. Given how many assets they've given up, you've got to wonder once yeah. Vegas starts losing some of their core players, like we might be seeing a Chicago situation with them. This is a bold prediction, I know. They do have a lot of long term deals there. Now. But they've got a I mean, lot Stone of long term deals, they've got a lot of bad contracts. And for now, they have depth. You know, for now, they have pretty solid prospect depth. But what happens when you need to get rid of some of those aging contracts, you know? Yeah, and plus, you said, like you said, they've given up Suzuki. Um, they've given up Brandstrom. They've given up some guys that, you know, they considered key pieces for their future uh, when they started off as a franchise. So, you know, if it works out for them, um, all the best, obviously. But, I mean, give up those kind of assets for, for Yanmark. I mean, Maybe they hope to re-sign him. I don't know. But just if, if he's purely a rental, I mean, I, I can't wrap my head around that one. Right. Like, it's it's just crazy to me because, like, what if they have to give up, you know, a Peyton Krebs or Brendan Brisson or, you know, just somebody like somebody like that where, you know, they're a top prospect. Yeah. If they keep overpaying for guys like this, I mean, you know. Anyways, we've talked about it briefly. The Anthony Mantha trade was huge. I think both for Detroit and for Washington. I don't see how you could have gotten more for Mantha. I know Ponick's contract isn't great. He's not even making that much though. But you get two. I, yeah, top... I think he's at two point seven five, but he's got another two years. He's uh, at one six seven five. Ponick? Yeah. Oh, uh, that's his salary. Excuse yeah, I'm pretty me. sure I was looking uh, looking at it earlier. I'm yeah, sure he, I mean, he has two more seasons, but even then, Detroit's nowhere near the cap. Oh, yeah. And he's a top nine, maybe even top six forward on that team. Same with Verona. 
And then you get a first round pick. So probably, you know, again, a top 25 pick. Yeah. And then a top 60 pick in next year's draft. That's some nice work. I I think it's a trade that works really well for both teams. Because if you look at it from the other perspective, like from Washington's side of things, you know, they shed Ponick, who wasn't giving them anything. Uh, He had three goals in 36 games for them, nine points. Um, They shed him. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that, you know, Verona, he's really fallen out of favor there. Uh, He spent time as a healthy scratch this year. You know, he just doesn't see eye to eye with the coaching staff. I guess they don't trust him uh, because of his lapses defensively. And on top of that, he hasn't given them anything at all in the playoffs the last couple of years. Um, you know, plus with his restricted free agent status coming up this summer, um, who knows what kind of what kind of price point he's going to come in at. You know, you add a, a guy in Mantha who's he's signed for the long term at a pretty reasonable cap hit, especially for what he can do. And, you know, you bring them out of that Detroit situation where, you know, he didn't really have a whole lot to work with. And, you know, you put him into your top six with, with those guys in Washington, he's going to be playing with either Evgeny Kuznetsov or Nicholas Backstrom, who like for, for a guy like Anthony Manta, I mean, you have those guys getting them the puck, like you're just salivating at the, what he can do. So, you know, I, I think it's a good deal for both sides. I think Manta can really, really erupt there and maybe maybe finally emerge, I guess, in a way that it hasn't really happened in Detroit. But, I mean, with his size and power combination, I mean, gee, what, a, what a fit he's going to be there. So I think, I think it's one of the rare trades that works for both sides. Um, it does look like a lot, but when you really dig into the aspects of why Washington made that deal. Um, I don't think it's nearly as bad as it looks on surface. You know, there's a lot of playmakers over there. Like, and he had a goal and an assist and six shots in his debut tonight in under 15 minutes of ice time. Yeah, like he's really good, man. He's, he's like as really high good. end of a comp. He, he's not really a play driver, I'd say. He's just a finisher, you know, but like as high end of a secondary piece as it gets. You know, we've kind of had this conversation before about play drivers versus secondary players. And I don't mean it to be like a derogatory term. No, no, I totally agree. Really, really, really good secondary player. And in Washington, he's going to get a chance to absolutely shine. Yeah, like if he scored 30 goals there next year, uh, I would not be surprised, like at the least. I wouldn't be surprised if it's pretty well over 30, to be honest with you. Yeah, like he, he's going to explode there. He, uh, might, he, might, get, he might get 40. He might get 40 there, honestly, because he's always had the talent. The teams are going back to his division next year. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's too bad. Cause, but I Because mean, Mantha is a noted Canes killer. Yeah. Like, he's just but, really good. He is re- a really good player. And, like, while you can say that, yeah, Verona, he, he's been there for a while. He's still young. He's got good upside. It just wasn't working with that group right? Like the coaching staff, for whatever reason, there was a fallout and it just, it wasn't going to happen there. So you move him as an asset who still has value. This is the time to move a guy like that while the league still believes in him, even if you don't. Um, and you bring in a guy like Matt, then I just think, you know, he, he, what an X factor he'll be for that team. Right. Before we wrap things up, um, I do just want to look ahead a little bit for the Hurricanes. Um, and I know we said we weren't going to really talk about the last two games and I'm not going to start now, but Obviously, they haven't been good. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. The Hayden Flurry effect. Yeah. But uh, now we're getting the Nashville Predators on Thursday evening, a team that just shit housed 
the Tampa Bay Lightning seven to two. Uh, UC Saros <laughs> is like scorching hot right now. Um, and that team has really just been as a whole on fire for a couple weeks now. 12, two and one in their past 15 yeah. games. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely rolling for them. Yeah. Um, might've been written off a little bit too early and it's kind of unfortunate at the timing because guys like Arvidsson and whoever else may not be available. Grand anyway, Lola, maybe. Right. But, um, obviously the last two games and the last game in particular, after the hurricanes roster kind of got a vote of confidence from the management saying, we believe in you guys. We're not going to, you know, we don't, we don't feel like we need to add anybody. And then they come in and shit the bed on Jordan Stahl's thousandth game, which was, you know, just bad optics all the way around. What do you guys want to see? Just real quick before we get out of here, what do you guys want to see on Thursday night out of the Hurricanes? The normal Canes. <laughs> Some I efforts. Mean, is it is it is it so much to ask that we just get the Canes as we've seen all season long? I mean, as we saw with Tampa tonight, good teams are going to have stinkers. Well, I say this kind of to set myself up, I guess, almost. And yes, obviously, just the Hurricanes, when they're on their game, they can beat anybody. So yes, if they show up to play, they can beat Nashville. And that's all you want to see, right? But I want to start seeing this team round into playoff hockey. I want to start seeing them on their forecheck, playing the body, playing with urgency in their game. I just feel like we don't see enough of that lately. And you know, especially on their like power plays. Like I feel like there's so much right. standing around. They're not supporting the puck. They're not, you know, when you go into the corner on a power play, if you don't have an extra man above what the penalty kill has in that corner, if they've got two, you need to have three. If they have one, you need to have two. That's simple. Right. I learned that in friggin' mites. Like, come on. <laughs> and stuff like that, we're not getting. Yeah. We're not getting the little things. And the little things is how you win in the postseason. That's the what I want to are getting that from me. their fourth line, um, which is – That's the only one doing good. it. Right. I and Lorenz is fake bit as shit, so he can't score, and it's – all goes the way so i'm still pissed about it i know well i'm saying like it's good that the fourth line's doing it but three other lines need to be doing it as well they should be well they are setting the tone and then nobody else is following it up like yeah you know i think it's a little worrisome when a bottom feeder like detroit looks like they want it more than your group yeah when you're in the hurricanes position and like they they've been out hustled uh, in the past two games by Detroit. They like Detroit just looked like they wanted it more. They looked like they had more urgency. If you didn't know what the standings looked like, you, you would probably have think uh, or have thunk that, you know, Detroit uh, was at the top of the division, right? Because they, they just looked like they wanted it more than the hurricanes. And you know, it's just not a great sign. Yeah. Right. And I mean, for what it's worth, Detroit's done this to Tampa all season too. Like yeah. they've, they've been, annoying to Tampa as well so I think that the Canes can get I don't know the effort will improve I just think that you know the Canes had a couple bad games and they're allowed to have that and I think that they're gonna they're gonna see a better team or they're gonna play better against Nashville Right, and the Hurricanes do have a tendency to play down to their opponents, which is frustrating at times. But, you know, oftentimes they do bounce back and bring their A game against the good teams. And, and again, right like now, I said, Nashville's you know, definitely a good team. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're 4-0-1 against uh, Florida this season. And right. for the majority of the season, Florida's been a top three, top even top two team in the division. 
So well, you know what? Let's just be happy that we won't be playing Detroit in the playoffs. Yeah, that's what I said the other night. It's like they right. we won't have to we won't have to worry about them when it counts. So right, we have two more games against Detroit this season, and I think that'll be it. Oh, thank God. Folks, this has been a long episode. Obviously, there was a ton to talk about around the league. So we want to thank you so much for your support. Again, we're just so thankful for each and every one of you. And all the feedback we've gotten from you guys on Twitter has been amazing. Um, For now, I'm Matthew Soma, joined by Brandon, Stanley, and Alex O'Hari. And we're signing off. It's a good time to be a Canes fan. Let's go Canes.